I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, former college professor turned manager in a large corporation turned entrepreneur. And not just any entrepreneur. I've made it my life's work to make organizational life more effective and fulfilling. So welcome to Working Conversations, the podcast where we digest and translate research and ideas on workplace dynamics and serve up to you the most interesting and actionable strategies to make your workplace conversations and your relationships more effective, productive, and influential. If you're looking for proven tools for your workplace toolbox, you're in the right place. Now, let's get after it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Working Conversations podcast, where we talk all things leadership, business communication, and trends in organizational life. I'm your host, Dr. Janelle Anderson. The other day, the local Chipotle restaurant that my husband and son love to get their burritos at was closed right through the dinner rush. And recently, picking up Thai food at an independent restaurant where we like to go, there was a sign on the door begging for our patients because they were short-staffed. And when I recently stopped at the dollar store near my house to pick up some 2023 calendars, they were closed. Updated hours were posted on the door, closed on Sundays and Tuesdays due to a lack of workers. You've probably also heard it in the news. There's a shortage of nurses and other healthcare workers. There's a shortage of manufacturing workers. There's a shortage of childcare workers. And then, of course, the shortage in hospitality and restaurants and retail, like I just shared. So what's going on? (laughs) Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. This week, and in the coming weeks on the podcast, I'm sharing more about the predictions that I made for work life in 2023 in episode 92 last week. I'll do a deep dive on each prediction, sharing more statistics, history, and of course, the future implications for the prediction. (laughs) If we're not doing that last part, the future implications, then what's the point of trend spotting to begin with? Before I jump into the background on this episode, Let me just quickly remind you of the predictions that I made for work life in 2023 back in episode 92. Prediction number one, the labor shortage will continue and will get worse. Prediction number two, we will experience a massive clash in values at work. Prediction number three, artificial intelligence becomes more useful in everyday work. Prediction number four, Return to the office and work from home will clash in a push-pull relationship. And prediction number five, interpersonal skills are the most important skill at work. Okay, so in this episode, as promised, we are digging into prediction number one. The labor shortage will continue and will even get worse. So let's start with why is there a labor shortage in the first place? And as a quick note, I'm going to address this from the firsthand look at how it's been unfolding in the United States. But we Americans are not alone. A variation of this is going on in many countries around the globe. So as an explanation, simply put, retirements are outpacing new workers coming into the workforce. Now that's an overly simplified explanation, like saying a circle is round because its edges are curved. It may be true, but it's not a very satisfying answer. So let's dig a little deeper. Proportionately fewer Americans participate in paid work 
than in recent history. The U.S. Labor Department keeps close tabs on this stuff. They call it the participation rate, the percent of civilian population that's either actively employed and working or they're seeking work. This participation rate remains lower than before the pandemic and significantly lower than it was a decade ago. In fact, if you were hiring in the years that led up to the pandemic, you will remember that it was hard to find talented and skilled workers even then. Now, I also need to address the myth that's going around that the worker shortage is because there's a loss of work ethic in younger people. I say that is myth because some younger people are choosing a better life-work balance overall rather than having a grueling job. And that's perhaps more healthy in terms of work ethic than the generations who are calling them lazy might have. Now, I do not subscribe to the idea that people are sitting around collecting unemployment insurance instead of working. The data simply doesn't support it. So if you hear someone saying that, tell them to knock it off. It's just flat out not true. Okay, now let's go back to this idea of a drop in the worker participation rate. There was, of course, a drop that resulted from the Great Recession of 2008-2009, but it goes back even before that. According to statistics released regularly by the U.S. Department of Labor, 15 years ago, about 67% of the population were either working or actively seeking work. These numbers started to decline in 2010, and by 2016, they were hovering just below 63%. Now, 4% doesn't seem like much, but in a population of just under 350 million at the time, this 4% drop in participation in work meant that the economy was down 14 million workers. That's a lot of Chipotle not being served. Now, no meaningful discussion of the worker shortage can be had without discussing the impact that the pandemic has had and is continuing to have on the workforce. The U.S. Census Bureau started collecting data mid-2022 on long COVID and its impact on the workforce. Their findings show that 16 million people have long COVID. The cases of COVID that last weeks, months, even years after the initial infection. 16 million people have long COVID. And of those, between 2 and 4 million are out of work as a result of the disease. 2 million to 4 million is a sizable number. So that certainly accounts for some of the shortage. Now, likewise, no discussion of this topic will be complete with also talking about the great resignation turned reshuffle. As you've probably heard me say already on earlier episodes of this podcast, some 47 million U.S. workers quit their jobs in 2021, many of whom were in search of better work-life balance, more compensation, more flexibility, and a company culture that they could believe in. It's most likely that these 47 million people who quit their jobs are at the root of the myth of lazy unemployed people who are collecting unemployment insurance rather than working, (laughs) where that myth comes from. But what's important to recognize is that most of those people got rehired elsewhere and quickly. Hiring rates have outpaced quit rates since November 2020. There's one more important factor we should take a look at, and that is entrepreneurship. 
You see, these job numbers that the U.S. Department of Labor captures don't always account for new business startups. They do track entrepreneurship in a number of ways, however, and in the past two years, nearly 10 million business applications were filed. 5.4 million were filed in 2021, and 3.8 million were filed in 2022. By way of comparison, in 2010, when I started my business, Working Conversations, I was among the mere 2.5 million people starting a business, so certainly less than half of 2021's business startups. So it certainly is the case that with so many new business applications being filed, people are choosing to be their own boss rather than working in the fields that are so badly hurting for workers right now. So that accounts for part of the explanation as well. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show. So there you have it. That's why we have a worker shortage. But why do I predict that it will continue and, in fact, even get worse? Enter the declining birth rate. Yes, that's right. Here in the United States, we are not churning out new humans at the rate we used to. I believe a short history lesson on the U.S. birth rate over the past couple of generations is in order in order to put this all in context. The U.S. birth rate started its decline in 1990. According to a paper by Melissa Kearney, Philip Levine, and Luke Pardue of the University of Maryland and Wellesley College, published in the Journal of Economic Perspectives, there is no hard and fast explanation for the falling birth rate over the past several decades. It's a bunch of things, really, they explain. <laughs> and just so we're clear, I did my part bringing three new humans into the world during these past years of declining birth rate. <laughs> but I digress. Let's look at the data. The birth rate fell from 1990 to 1997 by just under 2%. That doesn't seem like a lot, but just remember that in 20 or 30 or however many years later, when those people started to reproduce, there were 2% fewer of them to begin with you can see how this starts to compound over time. Then from 1997 to 2007, in that 10-year period, the birth rate picked back up again, most likely because the economy was doing well. There is a historical correlation that shows that when the economy picks up, the birth rate picks up. So it picked up, but it just never really fully got back to the 1990 numbers. From 2007 until just recently, the numbers just started to inch up by a fraction of a percent. But from 2007, again, till just recently, the birth rate fell quite precipitously. 
The Great Recession of 2008-2009 likely had something to do with it, because again, when the economy suffers, the birth rate goes down. But beyond that, there are no social, economic, or other factor or factors that seem to be a smoking gun in this case. Kearney, Levine, and Pardue chalk it up to shifting priorities. People of childbearing age may have different aspirations for their lives than previous generations did. They may have different perspectives on having children and being parents in the first place, or in being parents to as many children as we've seen in the past. And this is all having an impact. So let's look at what that impact means. If we go back to when the birth rate started its big decline in 2007, we're going to understand that today there are fewer 16-year-olds and those younger than 16 that would have otherwise been born had there not been this decline in birth rate. So starting next year and into the foreseeable future, when these now 16-year-olds turn 17 and 18 and start heading into the workforce after they graduate high school, either full-time or maybe part-time if they go to college, well, there are going to be a lot fewer of them. So the shortage will get worse. And for the ones who do go on to college or university and are destined for white-collar jobs, well, come 2029 and beyond, when they start graduating from college, there will be a lot fewer of them too. So what's the answer for all of this? Besides not getting your burrito or your Thai food? (laughs) Well, I can't change the birth rate, but I can share a few implications for what all of this means. For the workplace, it means that wages will continue to rise, at least as much as they can in the midst of the inflation that we're currently experiencing. In order to compete for talented labor and skilled labor, employers have been raising wages. Now, that has been curtailed a bit in light of the recent inflation, but the prediction is that wages will continue to be strong. Another implication is that it will still be difficult to hire for those open positions. And that means that those of you working alongside those open positions will have to pull more than your fair share of effort in getting the responsibilities of your team completed. You probably already are, and unfortunately that is going to continue. I also predict that we will see a surge in new technologies and more things will be automated. If you recall my prediction number three about artificial intelligence, you'll know that AI is doing more regular work and is no longer the creepy work of algorithms and self-driving cars. It's coming soon to a professional job near you. And with any luck, it will help the labor shortage. In addition to AI, I predict that we will develop automation in things that were not automated before. Your Chipotle burrito may be made by an assembly line machine instead of a high school kid. And there are implications for our culture as well that transcend our experiences at work and seep into our everyday lives as consumers. For consumers and American culture, it means learning to be more patient. Not everything is going to be at your disposal immediately, as you may be accustomed to. It means bringing back waiting. (laughs) Remember organic waiting, where you just had to sit and wait your turn? (laughs) Yeah, folks, that's coming back. Perhaps it will bring about more compassion for everyday people in jobs where there aren't enough workers. Healthcare workers, childcare workers, 
or retail when the store that you want to go to is closed or you have to wait longer at the doctor's office or you can't find a place for your child to go to preschool. Again, hopefully that will bring about more compassion for everyday people in those challenging situations. And I'm going to end on that hopeful note that although it's unfortunate that we're experiencing this labor shortage and it's only going to get worse before we literally figure out how to actually do more with less, not just the saying that your boss says, but until then, there is compassion and patience to be developed as we slow down and wait for our burrito. (laughs) One more final note before I go. If you enjoyed this content and you're watching it on YouTube, make sure you hit the subscribe button and knock that little bell so that you get notified every time there's a new episode out. I'm also starting to make some other videos on YouTube as well. So even if you listen on a podcast platform like Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, you're going to want to head over to YouTube and subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Find me at youtube.com forward slash Janelle Anderson, PhD, J-A-N-E-L, Anderson with an O-N-P-H-D. Wherever you are listening or watching, please like and leave a review. It helps other listeners find me, and it just plain old makes me feel good. Until next time, be well, my friends. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, head on over to Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and give us five stars and a quick review. It really makes a difference and it keeps us bringing you valuable content that you can put into play in your life. I'm Dr. Janelle Anderson, and this is Working Conversations. This episode is made possible by Instacart. If you haven't already started using Instacart, now is the time, my friend. Now, I'm the first one to say that I actually enjoy a trip to the grocery store. I really do. But you know what I like doing even better? Making this podcast. When I was deep in the development of this podcast, outlining and recording the first few episodes, my kids reminded me that they needed to eat. Instacart to the rescue. In absolutely record time, Magnolia, my Instacart shopper that day, delivered chicken nuggets, milk, avocados, fresh berries, and a host of other groceries we needed. When life gets busy, or when you just want to feel like royalty and have someone do it for you, there's Instacart. Get $10 off your first order when you sign up at workingconversations.com forward slash Instacart. Now, back to the show.